Father God, we, this is our prayer. This is our heart's desire. At our best moments, this is what we cry out for, that you would reign over us as our king. And Lord, that we would submit ourselves to your kingship, to your lordship, to the only wise, magnificent, glorious, holy God of heaven. Lord, would you soften us to yourself? You, O oh God, who are justified in all you do and write in all you carry out and think. Lord, would you draw us to you? Open our hearts to your word this morning. That you would change us. That you would reorient our affections where necessary. And it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. I'm just going to give you guys a heads up. If it doesn't cool down next weekend like it's supposed to, uh, I will be converting the baptismal into an ice bath and preaching from there next week. Um, just so you know, I don't want you to be caught off guard. Um, that'll be what we'll be doing. Um, as many of you guys know, I'm, I'm just kind of generally addicted to being outside. Uh, I want to be outside anytime I can. I, I just want to be out in the nature, the woods, by a mountain or a piece of water, or all three together is, is even better. Um, but one thing those who spend a lot of time outside know is that things can go from really beautiful and calm and serene to very dangerous in a very short amount of time. And there's a majesty and a glory to being outside, to being out in the woods, to being in pristine nature. But there's also something really dangerous to it. I've had, on numerous occasions in the Boundary Waters, moments of kind of a, an existential realization of I'm in a 17-foot canoe floating above 120 feet of water in depth. And, uh, and there's, there's a good distance between me and the land. And so if something happened out here uh, and I did not have a flotation device, I could get myself in a lot of trouble really fast. Or we realize this with storms. I've told this story before a few years ago. You guys remember the great derecho that, that tore through in 2020? Well, when it started, you know, we could see it getting dark out the office windows and the sirens started. And I get really excited about big storms. I love the glory of a big storm. And so I did what every self-respecting Midwesterner does when the sirens go off. I went outside. <laughs> and um, I'm, I was out under the drive up, because I, I didn't want to mess up my hair with the water. <laughs> and, um, and I'm watching the storm come in, and I start realizing uh, this, isn't, this isn't okay to be outside, and ran inside really fast, because the glory of that storm went from very appealing to very terrifying. And as we talk about the glory of God, as we talk about this being a core value of who we are as Westchester, that we are about the glory of God, we need to realize that the glory of God for some is a very awesome, awe-inspiring, 
wonderful experience. And for others, it's the absolutely most terrifying thing they could think of dwelling on. And what the text is going to tell us today is that both of those responses are accurate and and right responses to the glory of God because it is so much bigger than us, so much grander than us. Well, here at Westchester, our mission, as Pastor Adam preached on last week, is to experience the love of God and extend the love of God. We find the rooting for that in 1 John 4. But then we have these core values of glory, grace, gather, and go. And over the next few weeks, this week and the next two weeks, we're going to talk about our three of our core values kind of through the lens of the one that we've been trying to beat like a dead horse this year, which is gather. Hopefully, you're almost getting tired of hearing that word. That would tell me we're doing it right if you're almost getting tired of it. And so as we gather, we gather for the glory of God is what we're looking at this week. Now, we didn't come up with these to just be kind of catchy. The alliteration helps, I'm not going to lie. But these these weren't just like, what are four Christianese words we can use? But these are things that as we seek to experience and extend the love of God, these principles are steadfast and true and immovable for us, that it is about the glory of God. We are saved through grace. We are called to gather together, and through gathering together, we are best able to experience and extend the glory of God far greater than we ever could just on our own. And then, obviously, going, that we are called to go, which has some unique implications with gathering, that we come together in order to be able to go or equip others to go. These core values, along with our mission, prohibit us from making it about us as Westchester, of building the brand of Westchester, of becoming too proud of who we are or inappropriately self-reliant, from being a collection of individuals who just show up on a given Sunday and they keep us from hoarding the gospel to ourselves. They bring clarity to various difficulties and tough decisions as well as opportunities that we may face as a church. They provide an accurate filter that stays the same so that when a a decision comes, we can can react well to it. These are non-negotiables. And so as we look at what it means to gather on purpose, that we would come together very intentionally, not just to show up on a Sunday and get the sticker of attendance that we, that we came and that we brought our Bibles and that we were good Christians that day of the week. It's not a checkbox activity, but it is very much tied to our spiritual health. Coming together is very much tied to our obedience to the Lord to our walk with him, that it would become, if it is not already, something that is even desirous of, man, I wouldn't miss that for anything. I need to be around those people. I long to be around those people. I long to sing to the Lord together. So this week, as we move from from mission to these guidepost principles, we are setting our attention on the beautiful and terrifying glory of God. God's glory is the ultimate purpose of all creation. Through his love and grace, he invites us into his glory that we should not only be able to celebrate it instead of dread it, but that we would actually benefit from his glory. 
John Piper wrote a book that really, he, he only needed to write one sentence, but he wrote the book so people would read the sentence. And the book is Let the Nations Be Glad. And the sentence that if you've, if you've even gotten within earshot of perspectives class, you've heard it. Missions exist because worship doesn't. Missions exist because worship doesn't. And he goes on to say, worship is ultimate, missions is not. There will come a day we'll no longer do missions, but worship will continue for all eternity is the argument he goes on to make. And worship, I would add, is the act of pointing out the glory of God and, and even gazing upon and staring at, talking about, singing about. It is the act of saying, there's the glory of God especially in terms of its beauty. And so in scripture, we have the glory of God first in the garden as God makes all creation for his pleasure. If, so, if Genesis 1 is a song, the chorus is, it is good, it is good, it is good. God made Adam and Eve to enjoy his goodness, to walk with him in presence and to steward his creation as they enjoy it. And then the fall comes, and the goodness and the glory of God is violated, and then through much of the rest of Scripture, we have very messy redemption, where God is offering covenant relationship while people are continually wandering off for lesser glories than what God has to offer. Romans says that they, are, they exchange the glory of God for a lie. And even in the best moments throughout scripture and that messy redemption, people and us are continually falling short of that glory. Continually shown as unworthy of the glory and more than that, unfit for his glory, unqualified for his glory. And then we get the, the new covenant, which is the full accomplishment of Christ, that through his death, burial, and resurrection through faith in Christ by the grace of God, we can become children of God and enter into his glory. Through Christ, we enter into covenant faithfulness of God and are able to rightly respond to his glory in a way that is good for us and desirable to God and enables us to joyfully sing the text that we're going to be going through today, which is Psalm 96. If you have your Bibles and you haven't done so yet, I invite you to turn there now. So the full work of Christ enables us with a glad heart to sing this song. Oh, sing to the Lord a new song. Sing to the Lord all the earth. Sing to the Lord. Bless his name. Tell of his salvation from day to day. Declare the glory of God to the nations, his marvelous works among the peoples. For great is the Lord and greatly to be praised. He is to be feared above all gods. For all gods of the peoples are worthless idols. But the Lord made the heavens Splendor and majesty are before him. Strength and beauty are in his sanctuary. Ascribe to the Lord, O families of the peoples. Ascribe to the Lord glory and strength. Ascribe to the Lord the glory due his name. Bring an offering and come into his courts. Worship the Lord 
in the splendor of holiness. Tremble before him all the earth. Say among the nations, the Lord reigns. Yes, the world is established. It'll never be moved. He will judge the peoples with equity. Let the heavens be glad. Let the earth rejoice. Let the sea roar and all that fills it. Let the field exult and everything in it. Then shall all the trees of the forest sing for joy before the Lord, for he comes. For he comes to judge the earth. He will judge the world in righteousness and the peoples in his faithfulness. gathering in response to and for the purpose of the matchless glory of God leads to celebratory instruction is what we start with with the psalm here. This singing is a celebratory instruction of the glory of God. And, and the, first, the first instruction here, this might be the easiest verse in Scripture for Westchester to abide by. Sing to the Lord. We're good at that. We're really good at that. I got to tell you guys, when I, have, when I have friends that come and visit here, one of the first things they say after visiting here, there, there's a couple things they tend to say. One, very welcoming. And then two, they, they just stand. They're like, you guys, your church sings. Like, you guys really sing. And I got to tell you, as your pastor, when I'm, when I'm seated down here, standing down here before a sermon, there's something really special and unique to hearing your singing sometimes louder than the praise team or as loud as I get ready to preach the word of God to be able to start to be able to get my heart in the right place by hearing the singing of you my brothers and sisters is is such a great thing but not just that we'd sing that we'd sing a new song aren't you glad we're not, as a church, still singing Swedish hymns from the 1880s. Isn't that good? Isn't that good? We've, we sing new songs. We have a pastor on staff who writes songs for us as a congregation, and they're good. We would sing a new song, and really that we would be joining in all the earth singing to the Lord. Now, there's a difference between singing for the Lord and singing to the Lord. As we get ready to enter the beginning of the school year, there's a whole bunch of us who are going to get ready to go to a whole bunch of choir concerts and events. And at those choir concerts and events, whether it is elementary Christmas concert or, or higher level high school choirs or anything in between, you're going and the choir is singing a song for you. They're doing a performance for you. Here's the difference. If they were singing the song to you, you would be on the stage, seated in front of the choir. They would be looking at you as much as they're looking at their director. And all the dynamics, all the harmonies, all the lyrics would be focused at you. And so this isn't just us coming and saying, hey, God, I got a song for you, maybe a little dance. Uh, we don't do that here. I'm kidding. Um, 
But I have a song for you versus singing affectionately to the Lord. Lord, I am singing this to you. I'm not performing a song written by someone else that may have been for you, and I'm just singing it emptily, but I am singing it to the Lord. Our singing is not group karaoke, but a congregational declaration of the goodness of God. Our singing is a declaration of who God is and what he's done. And for that reason, we care very deeply here at Westchester about the words that we sing. Pastor Austin has set over the last 10 years a strong culture of having songs that have strong theology. Because of verse 3, or verse 2 and 3, sing to the Lord, bless his name, tell of his salvation from day to day, declare the glory among the nations, his marvelous works among all people. And so when we sing, we ought to be careful that what we sing is biblically true of the character and nature of God and not just a humanized version of what we want the affection of God to look like or a humanized version of what we want our salvation and following Jesus to look like, but an actual song that declares the truth of a God in heaven who is untouchably holy, who despite our awful and wicked sin, turned his wrath on his own son so that we who call on the name of Christ could be saved and live in newness of life. Our singing, our worship is recalibration of the heart. I don't know about you, maybe I'm the only one in here who needs this. I'm willing to accept that truth. But there are weeks that I feel particularly lousy about my spiritual condition. I feel particularly unmotivated to come to church. Just what every congregant wants to hear from their lead pastor. <laughs> or I feel apathetic in my walk or a little bit beat up in my sin. And so being able to come and sing of the grace of God, of the goodness of God, being stirred up in my affections by the singing of the congregation, walking in obedience with this verse, has on more than one occasion redirected me. But they not only redirect, they educate Verse 4, for great is the Lord and greatly do we praise. He is to be feared above all gods. For all the gods of the peoples are worthless idols, but the Lord made the heavens. Splendor and majesty are before him. Strength and beauty are in his sanctuary. We as people will never run out of opportunities to settle for lesser gods. We will never run out of idols. We always, the human heart is an idol factory, right? There's no shortage in our worship-hungry hearts for opportunities to turn our awe and affection to a created thing. Whether it be a family member, an opportunity, or some sort of pagan deity. Something much less 
than the glory of God. Good worship focuses us on the glory of God in a way that, that teaches and trains and reteaches the heart that God's glory cannot be replicated by anyone else or anything else. The practice of worship removes these worldly things from us. Good worship, focusing on the glory of God, keeping the glory of God's center, and doing this as we continually come together, puts into our minds the truth that God can do what blank cannot do. And wherever it is, you're, you're, you're tempted to put your hope, to put your affection, to put your aspirations, to put all your treasure, a family, a, a, a political ideology, your own success, your materialism. God can do what your materialism cannot do. God can do what $18 billion cannot do. God can do what your children being perfectly obedient to you cannot do. God can lead you where no one else can. You know, the, whole, the Old Testament in particular, but all of Scripture, the Old Testament in particular has a lot to say about those who worship idols. Has a lot to say about the idols. And I'm just going to tell you, very little of it is flattering. Actually, none of it is. Some of it is quite sarcastic. They're, they're the parts of Scripture I resonate with the most at times. But this, this section is a little different for me. Great is the Lord, greatly to be praised. He is to be feared above all gods. For all the gods of the people are worthless idols. This isn't just, this isn't the, the psalmist thumbing his nose. He's, he's putting on a Mr. T a little bit here. He's pitying the fool who would go for the idol. Why? Why would you do this? Oh, worshiper, why would you settle for anything less than the glory of God? And he's talking to the nations. There's certainly a lot of talk of we need to declare these things to the nations, but we need to declare these things to ourselves. The nations are not the only ones tempted to go after idolatry. Most of the attention on the problem of, of idolatry is focused squarely at God's people in the Old Testament. We have an affection problem. We have a worship problem. And so the glory of God needs to be fixated in our hearts and minds. It needs to be, we need to come together weekly to declare these things to each other and with each other, lest we wander off, lest we think, I can do it without him, lest we think, I don't need all that because something in this world scratches the itch better. We need worship with each other to continually point out to us the worthlessness of the idols of this world. Because I fear that left to our own devices, we'd all get back to idolatry in one way, shape, or form. And that it's closer to us than we realize. So we need to keep the glory of God front and center. And we need to keep, keep our eyes. Don't look away too long. Don't look away too long. Keep your eyes on the glory of God. Keep your hearts on the glory of God.
And when you see those idols coming, say, they're worthless. They're worthless. They don't stack up to the splendor and majesty and the beauty of my God. I need verse 5 and 6 in my heart. I need these verses. I need the Lord made the heavens. Splendor and majesty are before him. They're not before fill in the blank. They're not before those other things. They're only before the Lord. There's no one greater. And so we have the celebratory, exuberant worship that is also full of instruction. We need a proper and whole attribution. Here we find a word three times in verses 7 and 8 that we don't use very often, at least I don't. Ascribe. It's simple. To give all the credit to. To attribute to the person the fullness of what they've done. To attribute the significance of inventions to the appropriate inventor. The designation of best beard on staff to Austin Hilmer. <laughs> the psalm calls here for us to ascribe, for us to attribute the things to God that are squarely his. Ascribe to the Lord, O families of the peoples. Ascribe to the Lord glory and strength. Ascribe to the Lord the glory due his name. This attribution to the Lord, is, it's kind of like a duet in the second half here of the psalm. And it starts with the, the first part is sung by God's people. Declaring to the Lord his glory and strength. God, there's nothing you cannot do. God, there's nothing you have not done that we need. You, you, you've left nothing blank for us. God, your ways and your plans are higher than we are. And the, the psalm calls us to do this in verbal and nonverbal ways. That there would be declarations, there would be worship, and there would be offering coming into the courts. Loud singing and quiet offerings. We would say among the nations... The Lord reigns. Yes, the whole world is established. It shall never be moved. He will judge the peoples with equity. That we would say to the Lord this. This is a, a declaration, an attribution of the glory of God that happens through our messaging. It happens through preaching the gospel. We get such a, a small box for what we define worship to be. Worship must include singing to be biblical, but it is not only singing. Our worship is our giving of gifts to serve one another, to show generosity, to, to trust the Lord with our resources, and it is a worship through messaging. The earth is the Lord's, the fullness is all, all the fullness of the earth belongs to the Lord. He created it all. It's established in Him. We can't move it. And He's going to come back and He's going to judge. And He's going to judge with equity. And the problem with God judging with equity based on His glory is that we all fall short. And so we need some help. 
And that help comes in Jesus Christ. But notice the fullness of this worship. Worship the Lord in the splendor of holiness. Tremble before Him all the Lord. Isn't it interesting that I I find there's a lot of people that kind of humanize and sanitize the holiness of God. That bring it down to a level that we can find palatable, but the Bible doesn't do that. Even in this psalm of God instructing God's covenant people in the worship of the Lord, includes right in the middle of the instruction that we ought to tremble before Him. That this glory of God, to have the, uh, the very famous quote about Aslan, it's not, it's not safe. He's good, but he's not safe. When we follow this psalm, our lives declare the glory of God in ways that are explicit and implicit. We verbalize in ways that are not limited to music that the Lord is to be praised for all that he has done, for all that he is. And in quiet ways, we worship the Lord, bringing a sacrifice, whether that's a financial sacrifice or what we've been focused on the last couple months, that that sacrifice is our own bodies to him in recognition of, in response to his mercy. We recount to ourselves and to others the salvation of God. Those who are in Christ have crossed over from death to life. That we have been raised with Christ to the, the heavenly places, removed from the wrath that we deserve. communicate the truth of the Lord to each other in study and in worship. To know the Lord in His awesome character. To see Him displayed in nature. And the psalm calls us to all of this, even when His holiness and His justice are a bit terrifying. And so the second part of the duet comes in from God's creation. Let the heavens be glad. Let the earth rejoice. Let the sea roar and all that fills it. Let the field exult and everything in it. This is a land and sea and sky. Let all of it be praising the Lord. Let all of creation respond to the glory of God. Tim Keller says that in Genesis 1, all creation is singing a song that we, because of the fall, have forgotten. And creation is calling out to us to join in the song. The only way we can do that is through Christ. But here the song, the song has has an interesting point to it. The heavens be glad, the earth is rejoicing, the sea is roaring, the fields are exulting, all the trees are singing for joy before the Lord, for he comes to judge the earth. It is one thing to think of, to meditate on, and to praise God for his glory with soft music, lights that are just right, get the mood going, 
glory of God, and there's, there's ways that the glory of God should stir gentle and affection, gentleness, and, and kind of a gentle affection. That's, that's what I was going for, gentle affection within us, that we see this beauty in the glory of God, similar to you would see beauty in a mountain range. And at the same time, this psalm is not calling us to that today. This psalm is calling us to a glory of God, and the glory of God that we have fallen short of is coming to judge, and the earth is rejoicing of that because the earth, as we know through Romans, is groaning on account of the fall and our sin. And it's the difference between standing ways back and seeing the Rocky Mountains and going, wow, that's really pretty and majestic and seeing all these mountains and then being at the base of a mountain and told you have to climb it with no equipment. The glory of that mountain is no longer pleasing to you. The glory of that mountain is now your end. They'll sing for joy before the Lord for he comes to judge the earth. He will judge the world in righteousness and the peoples in his faithfulness. When we're seriously afraid of something, what do we do? And all I have, I, I just got to say one word to get the answer. Spiders. What do we do? We freak out, we scream, we call someone else to take care of it, we smack it as hard as we can. We, we get ourselves as far removed from that thread as we can, whether it's through the bottom of the shoe or lighting the house on fire. We get out of there. <laughs> we live in a place with wind chill so we don't have certain size spiders. But what happens when you're afraid of the thing that you absolutely need? As we talk about the, the beautiful glory of God and the terrifying glory of God, you may be here this morning and you only know it as the terrifying glory of God. Well, I want nothing to do with that. I come to church and I, I know it's there and I just try to avoid that part or I don't know why I'm here today, but I am and I'm super uncomfortable because the glory of God makes my skin crawl because it terrifies me. Because of everything we've talked about with the judgment of God, the fearful judgment of God, the righteous judgment of God on us who are very unrighteous, on us who fall short of the glory of God. So if you're here this morning and you find the glory of God to be terrifying, I want to read, this, I want to read to you out of 2 Peter 1. Starting in verse 3, his divine power has granted to us all things that pertain to life and godliness through the knowledge of him who called us to his own glory and excellence by which he granted to us his precious and very great promises so that through them you may become partakers of the divine nature having escaped from the corruption that is in the world because of sinful desire. God, through Christ, holds out a free gift of salvation. It's available for all who believe, for all who call on the name of Christ. And here's what that free gift of salvation includes. Listen again. His divine power 
His glorious power has granted to us all things that pertain to life and godliness through the knowledge of him who called us to his own glory and excellence. Through what Christ has done, we are called to be partakers in this glory of God that is so much beyond us. And so how are you responding to the glory of God? Are you afraid and avoidant this morning? I I want nothing to do with that. Are you ready to trust? Maybe you came in afraid, but now you're ready to trust that God, in His glory, because He loved you while you were still sinners, sent Christ to die for you, so that through faith in Christ, in calling Him your Lord, and believing that God raised Him from the dead, that you would be saved and be able to participate and partake in His glory. Are you ready to trust that this morning? Are you sharing in his glory but failing to recognize the significance of it? I'm a Christian. I've been one for a long time. I'm a follower of Jesus. My life isn't singing it right now. I'm not ascribing to the Lord all he has done. And if that's you, I, I, I want you to think about a couple things. First, I want you to think about what in my heart, is, is, there, is there a greater affection in my heart that I'm, is there an affection in my heart that I'm holding higher than the Lord? And deal with those affections. Is there an ideology? Is there a person? Is there a hope I have apart from Christ that I'm holding at or near Christ level? Do I need to simply get up in the morning and be much more deliberate in personal worship and then when I come to church, be deliberate in thinking about the words that are on the screen as we're singing, more than just humming along to the melody. Are you sharing and declaring the glory of God, not only with one another, but those around you? And then also, what, as it pertains to the glory of God, as it pertains to worship, as it pertains to the, the declaration and attribution, ascription of the glory, glory of God. What does your participation in congregational worship look like? It is for His glory and our good that He calls us to these things. Is there some pride you need to let go of? Is there shame? Maybe you think you're not musical enough to sing in church. I grew up with a pastor who said, one day in heaven I'll have a resurrected body that can sing on tune, but right now my instruction is to make a joyful noise. (laughs) Or maybe you only want the glory of God to be beautiful and you don't want it to be terrifying. And so you're worshiping a partial view of the Lord. As we get ready to respond in worship, I want to invite you to feel free to respond as you need. We'll we'll invite everyone to stand, but if, if you need to sit, sit. If you need to kneel, kneel. But glorify God. Worship Him. Focus on what He has done for you. 
And let's grow in this. As we gather together, let's grow in this. And let's not, let's not tolerate a type of apathy that would rob us of delighting in and drawing near to the glory of God. Let's pray. Father God, you are so good. You are so glorious. You are infinitely holy. And Lord, we do cry out to you, knowing that we are desperately in need of your help in this. Lord, would you humble us? And would you highlight to us, would you reveal to us and remind us of all that Christ has done? Not not only dying for us so we could be let off the hook, but bringing us in to your precious glory that we have fallen short of. And it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.